for too long, we've mirrored the world in a way that we celebrate through consumption. And as you saw, it usually just adds to more stress, traffic jams, to-do lists, making sure you got a gift for the guy that worked that got you a gift and you didn't know he was getting you a gift. Those kind of headaches. I was part of this series a few years ago and really enjoyed uh, working through it with the congregation. And one of the things that have come out of it is I enjoy now buying a mug for somebody and a DVD and giving them a bag of popcorn and saying, you know, I'm going to come over, Mom, and watch a DVD with you. Those are the kind of gifts that are more meaningful. Then the money that we normally spend on gifts that we throw away can be given to give clean water to the world. So that video was from 2010. That was in a time where we were a bit depressed in our spending habits, but they were still spending $450 billion at Christmas. As of last year, as the bulletin says, it's been over $601 billion. We haven't let anything slow us down. We continue to consume our way to some people's thoughts of even out of extinction. So that's going to be the Advent Conspiracy, and I hope you're excited about it because I am really excited about it. I am losing my voice, so I've asked Larry Gingrich to come up and read today's scripture for me. We're going to be continuing our parables of Jesus' story, and we're going to be looking at the story of three servants, or the story of the tenants, depending on how your Bible says it. We're going to be looking at Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Our, series is called, our sermon title today is called Use It or Lose It, and uh, I encourage you to either follow along on the screen or in your bulletins, which I believe, I mean, in your pew Bibles, which I believe is on page 983. This is quite the morning. Jeff is struggling with his voice, and I'm struggling with a bloody nose. So, we'll see. Does anyone else want to read the scripture? (laughs) We'll, We'll leave it at that. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants entrusted and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent on the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so when I returned I would have it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have 
Even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Larry. Just pause and pray. Lord God, we just invite you to come to speak to us through this parable. Just ask that you make your presence known. Let this be a morning in which we encounter the ways of the kingdom and that they encounter our ways and change them to be more like yours. Come Holy Spirit and be with us this morning. Amen. So as I said, my voice is a little crooked today. and My head is spinning a little bit, so I apologize. Naomi, our daughter, was sick earlier this week. And I decided to take care of her on Monday and Tuesday. And as things happen, kids are disease factors, right? And so by the end of the week, I have it as well. So in 1930 is when the Great Depression hit. Uh, 1929 is when the Great Depression hit. 1930, a year later, after the Depression had hit, banks and the stock market had begun to fail. People were not able to pay back their loans, especially farmers and people that had opened loans to start businesses, and they were defaulting on their loans. This led to a failing bank system that was failing with not having enough money to share with everyone that had invested. So people were scared, so people started pulling their money out. They wanted to have their money tangible. They wanted to be able to hold on to it personally. The Waltons, a vintage but once popular TV show, one of my favorites, is about a rural family that survives through the Great Depression era. The banks had failed, so they also pulled their money out. It was good for them to have it tangibly in their hands, and so they put it in mason jars. They hid it in the sugar. They hid it in cabinets. They would want their money at hand so that they knew where it was and they trusted where it was. Of course, it wasn't earning interest or doing any good for the depression at hand, but they knew where their money was. Many of you may remember your family talking about doing this. I had a grandfather who would still continue to hold his change in dollars around in jars and put them in the freezer. It's safer than the bank. The need to hold the money might have been a really important one to make. However, in the long run, it probably also led to the Great Depression era being unstabilized longer. But much like the servant in the story that Larry just read, when fear is at play and when trial is at play, it seems to be the best choice to make, to be able to hold on to that money with tangible results, to be able to know where it's at, to be able to know that in the bottom of your sugar jar, that's where your last $20 are. In this parable we see a couple guys that are entrusted to spend money. One of them decides to mirror the way money was held in the Great Depression. Now, I didn't know I was going to be sick when I wrote this sermon, so for some reason I seem to channel my inner uh, 12-point sermon, and so there's a lot of bulletin points today, but we'll work through them quickly. And uh, if you have your bulletins with you, you can just open up with me. Let's just take a time to dissect this parable a little bit and look at some of the pieces at play in it. See, in this parable, Jesus explains the workings of the kingdom through the story of a financial guru who leaves town and entrusts his wealth to his servants. Sometimes we get confused by the word master and servant. It seems to be in all of Jesus' parables. But the people listening at his day would have known this. This guy that Jesus is telling the parable about is somebody who is wealthy and somebody who has money. And he's got to go on a long road trip. So he leaves it with those who he trusts, 
those who apprentice under him, those who are studying under him. The servants in this story, which is point number two, are individuals who have studied under their master and mentor and have learned some aspects of his trade. The servants in this story are individuals who have studied under their master and mentor and learned some aspects of their trade. Right? It says they were giving money to invest based on their ability. So we know that they had studied under this master as his servants or as his apprentices. And they had learned to do what he did. He isn't going to keep a bunch of guys working for him that aren't learning to do what he does. As he's working to grow his business, he needs to make sure he has guys growing his business with him that he can trust. Point number three is this. Each apprentice was given a financial responsibility based on what they had learned and demonstrated their ability to do. That's what I just told you. Each apprentice was given a financial responsibility based on what they had learned and demonstrated their ability to do. He wasn't going to give five bags of gold to the guy that he gave one bag of gold to because he knew his ability was not as good. He knew that he was new to the company and he hadn't proven himself yet. The people that received larger sums of money did so because they had proven themselves. They had pressed in and learned longer under him. Neither of these first two understudies were rewarded by how much they made. They rather, but rather their mentor affirmed them with the exact same wording and reward on their successful attempt alone. So we can get hung up on these numbers. One guy's got five bags of gold or five talents. One guy's got two and turns it into two. The important thing to see here is when the master comes back, he never says, wow, you doubled your money. He just says, you did wisely. Come and share in the happiness. You, you did what you were supposed to do. You, you put the gift that you've been studying under me into practice. You, you attempted to make a change. And so the reward doesn't come based on, and his happiness isn't based on how much money they made him, but rather that they tried. Both the guy who had five bags of gold and the guy that had two were both rewarded with the exact same wording from the master. Did you pick up on that when we read through? They both said, well, good, and done. Come sharing in the Father's blessing. There was no distinction between the two. Neither of the first, oh, sorry. Those who attempted to make good investments of their mentor's wealth were invited to share in his blessing and happiness. He was happy that they just tried They just took what he was studying under them and put it into play. And that was enough to make this master happy. He came back and realized, wow, even though when I'm not here, you guys are doing a really good job. Now, I don't know if you've ever managed people, but I'm sure some of you have. And if you're not around, you want to make sure they're still doing their work, right? You you don't want them to just do their work when their boss is in the room. And that's what we see happening here. He comes back and he says, you guys were self-motivated. You guys got some stuff done. I'm, that, that makes me happy. And you know what? There's some blessings here because you guys made some money for me too. Let's, let's share in that together. However, the third servant wasn't quite rewarded like that. The third servant was an overthinker and an analyzer, which led to fear of the dangers and the realities at play. But he allowed that to inhibit his ability to make an investment. 
He was scared. I'm, I'm new to this. I'm not going to be really good at what I'm doing. You know, this is my master's money. If I invest it and I don't do it really well, when he comes back and I lose it, he's going to be mad. So what's he decided to do? He tries to sit on it, right? He says the best thing that he can do is make sure that when his master comes back, he at least has that money or that bag of gold or those tenant that he was given. He says, you know what? When my master comes back, he'll be happy because I still have what he gave me. I guarded it and watched it and polished it and took good care of it. Third servant was inhibited by the dangers and realities at play. Just like in the Great Depression, people were worried about what will happen to our money, and so they worsened the problem by pulling all their money out. It's the same kind of stuff that we see here when this guy goes and buries the gold in the ground. The third servant also gave the boss man an announcement of respect and honor, but did not demonstrate the ability his mentor had taught him to embody. Third servant also gave the boss man an announcement of respect and honor, but did not demonstrate the ability his mentor had taught him to embody. When he sees his master coming back, he's excited too. And in the same way, he runs up and greets. And he's excited to tell him what he's done. I sense an excitement in his voice when he sees his master. And he's saying, look, look what I've done. And his master's like, you're lazy. It's probably not what he was expecting. He probably was expecting, look, that guy did good guarding of my money, of my investments. I should get rewarded for that. It's not what he sees. He sees, we see that the third servant also gave the boss man an announcement of respect and honor like the other two understudies. But unfortunately, he did not demonstrate the ability his mentors had taught him to embody. So he announced to his master who's coming back, this is what I've done. And his master said, I've trained you to live out the role of an investor, to live out the understudy. I don't want you just to announce that you have the money, or I don't want you just to uh, demonstrate that you know how to take care of the money. I want you to embody what you do as an investor. I want that to fulfill your purpose. He missed that part. He missed that part when he buried it. He didn't embody what it meant to be an investor. The third servant's failure wasn't that he didn't make money. It was the fact that he allowed his fear to pursue comfort rather than make an attempt. I often wonder if he would have, Jesus would have told this parable in a different way and this third guy would have at least tried to invest his money and even if he lost it, if the master would have had the same disappointment that he did with the guy who did nothing. I I think the the thing at play here is if he would have at least tried, even if he would have lost the master's money, at least if he tried, the master would have still been happy. He was only given one, right? One bag of gold. He, He knew he wasn't up to the ability that the other people were yet, but he just wanted him to try. The other guys doubled there, so if he lost his, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. He didn't even try, which makes him seem lazy. Jesus tells this parable to show 
those listening that the kingdom entrusts us with its wealth. The kingdom entrusts us with its wealth. Sometimes when we read this parable, we get hung up on the word talents or bags of gold. And we say, well, it's just about using your skills or your talents for the kingdom. Well, it is part of that. It is. But it's also realizing that the kingdom is a huge investor. It's a huge uh, financial guru. And why it's not uh, the financial wealth that we think of in a worldly term, it is full of blessing and good news and goodness. So yes, this parable is about how do we use what God's given us to better this world in our lives, but at the same time, it's realizing that the more we press into Jesus and through the Holy Spirit and learn from the kingdom's ways, the more we learn to embody the kingdom, not just announce and demonstrate it on sometimes, the more we press into it, the more we learn to embody it, then we see that the Lord rewards people for that. He just wants us to try. Sometimes we can get very comfortable with our lives and we think that if we kind of stake out our claim and we kind of stake out our life and we build a healthy rhythm about it, that that's what the Lord wants from us. That the Lord will bless us based on our ability to self-sustain in some ways. But at the same time, Jesus wants us to up our commitment. He's saying the reason this guy was lazy was because he didn't even try. He didn't even push in to the gifting that he was being trained. He didn't even realize that there were blessings to be had when the master came back if he would have made something of that tenant or that gold bag. If he would have actually tried it, he would have shared in the blessings as well. But he missed out because he was comfortable and he was fearful about the world at play. So he made a comfortable life. He did the best thing and he hid hid the um, money in the cabinets, in the ground, in the sugar, in the freezer. This is the thing I want us to take away from this passage. Those who pursue a missional life that announces, demonstrates, and embodies the reigning goodness and good news of the kingdom will be given even more blessing of heaven in this life and the next. The kingdom is this investor. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away. He continually refers to himself in parables as the master that's going to go away. When he returns, what he wants to see is that we've learned to not only demonstrate for ourselves and announce for ourselves the blessings of the kingdom, but that we've also learned how to embody it. That we've learned to press into the kingdom and be rewarded for our work. The guy who first invested also received the lazy servant's share. He wasn't entrusted anymore to invest money. In fact, he was thrown out into the gnashing of teeth area. Whether that be be hell or a place in the city, this is what I see Jesus saying here. My kingdom is full of blessing and full of wealth, and you can live comfortably guardian that thing I've given you. Or you can press in for more. If you don't press in for more, and if you just continue to live comfortably and without risk, you're going to lose your blessing. You're going to lose your giftings. Somebody who is given the talent of music, if they don't play it for a while, often loses the ability, right? The idea of muscle memory and and our, our minds, the 
the least we do something, the least we're going to be able to do it again. I think what's happening here is this third servant could have done two things. He could have used it or he could have done what he did and not use it, in which case he lost it. He lost the blessing of the kingdom. He was thrown out to kind of survive on his own. He was kind of pushed out in some ways like the prodigal son. He just out on his own. It's important for us to remember that God has given us talents, skills, giftings, blessings, things that make up our personality that he wants us to use with intentional reason for the kingdom. Everything that makes up a, our personality, our character, who we are as humans, is to be used only for the chief end of the kingdom with intentionality. So that's what I want us to learn from here, is that if we're not using every aspect of who we are for the kingdom, we may also lose out on some of that blessing, some of that of the father's happiness, uh, some of the master's happiness, and some of his uh, reward. Some of that, you know what, you've pressed in, and you've done what I've told you, now enjoy even more blessing and security and trust and responsibility. We as followers of Jesus need to continually press into the kingdom and the kingdom's wealth with risk and not just at our mason jars on the pew or at our home. But unless we learn to be wise investors of our wealth that the kingdom gives us, we're lazy and pointless and our wealth will be lost unless we are willing to step up to the responsibility. At this time, I invite the worship band forward and we're going to do a f- song, and I believe they are doing Lay Me Down Again. And as, as that song happens, just think what it means for you to let every aspect of who you are, your personality, your character, your giftings, your talents, the blessings you've received, whether it be wealth, health, anything. Use those for the benefit of the kingdom. I encourage you to think about that as this song goes on and Lay those things before the Lord as a way of surrendering them to him.